You are listening to The Outer Pendulum, Part 1, Corsair, by Slava Heretz. Audio version read by John Bell. You can purchase this and additional installments in The Outer Pendulum Saga on Amazon, iBooks, Barnes & Noble, and many other ebook retailers. And make sure to visit www.slavaheretz.com for more information on current and upcoming podcasts and releases in the series. Corsair, copyright 2011 by Slava Heretz. Seventy-fifth of Dorian, fifty thirty-seven Anno Adventum. Come in. Captain Eli Saffinger stepped towards the office entrance. The door separated, and a flickering red shield of light appeared in the archway. It's all right. You can step through, encouraged a voice from behind a desk in the back of the room, muffled and deep, and as coarse as a Yanhe smoker before reconstructive lung surgery. The room was nearly pitch black, with only a corner of the desk illuminated by Odin, the largest moon hanging in the northeast sky. Saffinger took a step into the red door light and froze on contact. He couldn't move. He tried to step back, but it was as though his entire body had been turned to mush, bones broken and muscles stripped. He felt weak, helpless. He was sure he lost control of his bowels, but nothing came out. He just floated, suspended, feet off the ground with no feeling. The man inside chuckled. <laughs> Don't worry, Captain, the man said. It's procedural. My CFO hasn't even gotten used to it yet. The light disappeared and Saffinger descended, regaining control of his limbs the moment his feet touched the floor. There, that wasn't so bad, was it? asked the dark figure behind the desk, finishing his self-satisfied chuckle. Saffinger said nothing. Why don't you have a seat, the man suggested, and he held his hand out over his desk, pointing to a pseudo-elegant hydra oak chair. Saffinger approached the desk and pulled the chair out from beneath it, panning his eyes from one end of the cavernous office to the other. The man across from him leaned forward, bringing his face directly into the moonlight. His cheeks were plump and round, with scars and stitches running across his forehead, chin, and neck. He stared back at Saffinger like a wolf, one blue eye and the other brown. "'You know why you're here, don't you?' the man asked. "'No, but I'm sure you'll tell me,' Captain Saffinger replied. "'Your employer said nothing?' My employer tells me only what I need to know. The man leaned back in his chair and picked up a Yanhe pipe from atop his desk. He struck a match and lit the top of the already packed hay resting inside the ornate cobalt drum. He took a puff and tilted his head back, storing the smoke in the back of his throat for what seemed like too unhealthy an amount of time. He turned to the side and released the smoke into the room. A thick gray cloud instantly formed around the man's melon-like head. Saffinger took a whiff. He had quit eight years back, but couldn't resist a second-hand toke now and then. Oatsberry? Saffinger asked. Very good, the man complimented. He held out the pipe and raised his thin, fire-shaven brows suggestively. Would you like some? No, thanks. The man paused and took another puff. He placed the pipe back down on the desk and exhaled. You're right, the man continued. Your employer's a very careful woman, as she should be. The man pushed a button atop his desk, and a display screen unfolded in front of him. Buzzing and churning, it immediately sprang to life. She's told me quite a bit about you. Saffinger said nothing. The man behind the desk pushed a button on the display screen and leaned further back in his chair. All right, I'll just get right to the point then. The reason I contacted your agency is because I have a job for you. High risk, high pay. You'll be escorting my most valuable freighter. I don't work for slavers. 
The man burst out laughing. <laughs> slavers, he managed to get out. <laughs> you think we're slavers? I don't think you are. I know you are. <laughs> so, so why are you here? The man asked, his laughter nearly spent. I go through the motions of the interview so my employer doesn't fire me for insubordination. The man's face suddenly turned gruff. Listen, Captain Saffinger, we run a legitimate mining operation in the Hydra Solar System. All of our valued employees are paid fairly for their work and time. Really? I used to run protection for your gas harvesting project out near Hydra 4. I didn't see a single legal quint working there in my six-month tour. The man behind the desk smiled, showing a row of titanium-coated teeth that shone brightly in the moon's cyan glow. You think the Galactic Parliament recognizes the Quints as a sovereign state? Are you kidding? They have no rights. Saffinger slid his chair back with enough force to drive a meteor-sized hole into the floor. He shook his head and stood up, spinning around and starting for the door out of the office. Wait, shouted the man and stood up as quickly as Saffinger had. We're after a jollar. Saffinger stopped short. He didn't turn around. His face was still full of rage. He wanted to rush out of the room. But he didn't. We've lost six freighters in the past year alone to Jaller pirate activity. Why should I care, said Saffinger in a near whisper, still facing the door. Verklust Mining Corporation is the human race's single biggest extractor of raw materials here. Do you know who benefits from our operation going under? A dark smile formed on Saffinger's face. Small mining outfits that do it better than you? No. Those dreamers barely even make a dent in our economy. Our entire colony, our entire existence, our entire way of life will fall apart if I can't maintain a healthy trade relationship with the Dubdonians. Me, you, the entire planet crumbles to ash, and we ship off back to the Milky Way with our tails tucked between our legs, crying, asking for the old alliance to take us back. Our people have worked 5,000 years for this new life. I am not going back to that hellhole, and I know you are not either, Captain. Saffinger stood silently with his smile now gone from his face. The man behind the desk relaxed and wiped a bit of sweat from his wrinkled forehead. I know who you are, Captain Saffinger, and I know why you'll take this job. Oh, yeah? Why don't you enlighten me? When he finds you, and I know he will, your job will be to eliminate... Tango Sheergaw. Captain Saffinger walked through the Dera Mercenary Coalition main hangar, dressed in his perfectly ironed pre-flight officer uniform. It didn't have the same elegance as the one worn by the New Alliance Navy, but still beckoned an air of accomplishment and prowess. A set of vibrant colored medals hung from his breast pocket. He could retell the story of how he got each one of those decorations word for word each time. Acts of bravery, achievements above and beyond the call of duty. He didn't need to wear them around. Everyone he worked with knew his reputation. But there was something in the confidence it built before a launch. Some of the pilots listened to Dubdonian folk hymns. Some said a prayer. Saffinger just strutted around making his rounds in the hangar bay. As long as everything was going according to schedule, it was soothing to him. Peace in confidence, he liked to call it. He watched the thruster-powered mechs modify and prepare his armada, diligently toiling away one ship at a time. They welded and reinforced, hovering sometimes hundreds of feet above the ground in an almost ballet-like unison. 
Andrews, Saffringer called out to a nearby mech. She was soldering a portion of his ship's missile launchers. The robot's head swung toward him with a mousy woman appearing inside the control capsule. Did you get my new ammo manifest? I need a supply of high-damage missiles in the bay. Forget the X-9s. We're not going to need the range. The robot nodded and turned back to the launchers without the slightest hesitation, attaching itself to the warhead launch tubes and slinging a chain across the length of the loading bay. Lieutenant Commander Sidney Calico and Petty Chief Officer Winces Lynn came down the ramp from the flagship. They approached Saffinger and gave their captain a strong salute. Report, Saffinger ordered. Calico cleared his throat. <clears throat> Sir, command vessel navigation and engineering systems ready. Good. We'll be launching at 3400 as planned then. Calico straightened up and made himself as rigid and official looking for the captain as possible. Captain, may I make a suggestion? He began. Proceed. Sir, I think it would be prudent to establish a synthetic wormhole link at the rendezvous point. Jump in before the enemy fleet gets to the freighter. Calico, I'm not risking an Arctic-class frigate without a scout. Calico relaxed and lifted his chin slightly with an air of confidence, as though he had been prepared for the captain's response. Sir, I've already talked to Captain Ural. He would be more than happy to command a cloak-capable Zor-class vessel to run reconnaissance for the synth wormholer. Saffinger looked right at the lieutenant commander with a mired disbelief in his eyes. Calico, did you ever take covert operations at the Academy? Yes, sir, I did. Did you miss the lecture on warp dimension? No, sir. I'm very familiar with the Zor's class specifications. Then you would know that it would take Captain Ural over a month to get to the rendezvous point. We only have two weeks until that Verklust Mining Corp freighter enters Joller space. Saffinger paused and shook his head. We're not even sure if, where, or when Tango will act, so my answer is no. Sir, I understand. I just think it's very poor judgment to have a fleet this large and with this much firepower flying through Joller border zone space. We're about to sortie our entire armada. Saffinger rolled his eyes and glanced up at Lynn. The other officer just gave his captain a shrug. Look, Calico, I am the fleet commander. The only reason I've given you your own vessel is because we're short on officers. You follow my orders when I give them and exactly how I give them. The Dera mercenaries have worked this way for millennia, and so has the new Alliance Navy. If you don't like it, I can relieve you of duty right now and assign you to station defense. Calico sank down. His nostrils flared and he cleared his throat again. <clears throat> that won't be necessary, sir. Saffinger kept his steely green eyes on his subordinate. Good. May we proceed with our inspections, then? The lieutenant looked thoroughly defeated. Saffinger eased off and gave Calico a hint of a smile. All right, Calico, relax. You did fine, Saffinger reassured him. I like a man who has the balls to speak his mind. Just do your homework next time. Saffinger patted the commander on the shoulder and turned towards the middle of the hangar. The two officers gave Saffinger a quick salute and headed back into the flagship. Further down the line sat a squadron of fighter pilots in three rows, facing a giant spherical floating grid. Their commander was in the middle of his last-minute briefing, pointing to strategic locations on the three-dimensional grid, drawing tactical positions and formation diagrams with his index finger. Intel confirms we'll be encountering at least three wings of heavy interceptors and heavy electronic warfare vessels. Those will be our primary targets and will be called as they deploy within range. Saffinger stood patiently as the briefing proceeded. The commander assigned formation positions to each pilot, noting their ideal attitude and separation distance. Commander Einan, may I interrupt? Saffinger requested. Please, replied Einan. Saffinger approached the combat grid and inspected it for a moment. He added a few tactical points to the digital battlescape and turned to face the squadron. Remember, Delta Squadron, Saffinger began, you all have a very important role. 
When we engage, make sure to get yourselves out to the enemy pockets as quickly as possible. He drew a line from one sector of the grid to another and put his finger directly on the new point he had created. Primary objective will be crippling these interceptors. That means hyper-inject your reactors and full-ahead flank. If you're not going at least 125% on your base velocity, you're going too slow. Very good, sir, Commander Einan agreed. I also want focused firepower on their aft engines only, Saffinger continued. We don't know what kind of range their ships are capable of. So take out the main thrusters and move on to the next target. I don't want those tracking jammers getting anywhere near our heavies. Commander Einan nodded. Anything else, Captain? No, that should be it. Make sure your ships are ready and fueled. Fleet will begin embarkation at exactly 3400. Saffinger gave the commander and his squadron a quick salute and then hurried towards a small office tucked away in the back corner of the massive hangar. When he reached it, he rapped on the door with a knuckle of his middle finger. It immediately slid open, and a sharply dressed woman appeared in the doorway, seemingly surprised by the captain's presence. She was a healthy woman for her age, still quite comely, and with a bit of strange ambition left in her eye. Saffinger found it odd, considering her career was slowly headed towards that inevitable twilight. She loved the job too much to voluntarily retire, but eventually the Dara board would have to let her go. Slowing wits weren't exactly what a mercenary coalition wanted in their admiralty. "'Eli,' she said, holding a handheld display. "'I was just on my way to find you.' "'Likewise,' he responded. "'We need to talk about the contract. "'What about it?' "'I know your style, so keep in mind we're being paid to eliminate Tango "'and keep Verklust lives and assets safe.' "'You agreed to collateral damage?' "'Considering how much the rest of the contract is worth, yes, I did.' "'Saffinger snatched the handheld from her grasp and turned the screen towards him. He glanced over the scrawlings on the page. One hundred million for a medium corvette, he exclaimed. Lang is feeling his own private navy. He expects us to protect it. I would never have agreed to this. Relax. You know damn well we've got enough firepower and repair capability in the fleet to completely destroy the space station and rebuild it in under an hour. Don't underestimate that lizard, Tango. I've read New Alliance Navy reports on him. He's always one step ahead of their bounty hunters. If he's outnumbered, he gets away before engagement. If he has the advantage, he annihilates the entire fleet before they even know what hit them. He's got eyes and ears in every corner of this galactic region. He'll know if we're coming, and he'll know what we're bringing. He'll be ready, trust me. That's why I pay you the big bucks, Eli. Just bring me his head on a platter and keep friendly losses to a minimum. That's all I ask. She pushed a button beside her, and the door slid closed a few inches in front of Saffinger's face. He took a deep breath and looked up. The clock on the back wall read 3321. Saffinger sat in the cockpit of a cadet-class fighter. There were no controls, no lights, no windows. It was pitch black, silent. But he knew the vessel from how it felt sitting in the uncushioned seat. A radio crackled. Mayday! Mayday! This is the HCL Odyssey calling for aid on all frequencies! The call went faint and jumbled, then silent again. After a moment, a soft woman's voice came from the same unseen radio. Eli, can you hear me? The voice was beautiful, far more beautiful than he had ever heard in his life. He tried to find the radio controls and respond, but could see nothing around him. He called out with a wild scream, but was instantly silenced by the vacuum of space. The woman's voice came on the radio again. Eli, 
We need you. Suddenly, the cockpit's controls and dials appeared around him, and the brilliant lights of a passing warp band poured in through the viewscreen. His ship suddenly jerked and came out of warp. It was no longer the band effects, but light from a massive white star that pierced through into the cockpit. He tried to cover his face with the back of his hand, but it did nothing. He was as blind as a Wyrian cave rat. A huge ship suddenly appeared no more than a few kilometers off the starboard bow and blocked the solar glare. It slowly descended and came to a stop just outside the viewscreen. Saffinger could see hundreds of rows and columns of blacked-out porthole windows on the side of the vessel. Saffinger tried to take the controls, but his ship already began accelerating towards it. Eli, you can still save us, came the woman's voice from the radio again. Saffinger didn't try to respond this time. He just looked through the lit window at the tiny room inside. It was empty. No furniture, no beds, no chairs. It was just a plain cabin with yellow-painted walls. A human figure suddenly appeared in the room. It was a woman. She approached the window and looked deeply into Saffinger's eyes. Eli, we don't have much time, the voice continued, this time no longer from the radio, but from the figure in the room. She was now standing only a few feet from Saffinger's craft. There was an explosion. A bright orange and red flash glistened from the port side. Eli, they're firing at us, the woman screamed. Saffinger turned his head and saw the explosion rip off the bow of the massive ship. He turned back to the woman, but she was no longer there in the window. Help us, Eli, she demanded. She was now sitting right beside him in the co-pilot's seat. She grabbed his arm and started shaking it. Help us, Eli, she yelled. Help us! She kept shaking his arm harder and harder until his entire body trembled. He tried to reach out towards her to push her and make her stop, but his eyes were sealed shut. He could no longer see where she was or what she was doing. He writhed and wriggled and tried to break free from her grasp, but somehow couldn't. He screamed again. This time he heard it. He opened his eyes and saw a man hovering above him. Savinger sprang up and grabbed the man by the hair, quickly reaching under his pillow and shoving the gun he found there into the man's chest. Captain, it's just me, yelled a frantic voice. Savinger looked around. He was in his quarters. He looked up and saw Lieutenant Ostandon's skinny face staring at him with mouth wide open, frozen, shaking with sheer terror above the bed. Saffinger released the man's hair and let the gun drop to the floor. He fell back on his pillow and rubbed his eyes firmly with one hand. I apologize, Lieutenant, Saffinger said in a groggy tone. Bad dream. Ostandon still leaned over the bed with only an arm to support his terror-shaken body. He took several deep breaths and swallowed hard, slowly standing up from off the bed. He looked down at the captain in feigned composure, but his heart beat so loudly Saffinger could hear it from where he lay. Sir, I just came to inform you that we've come out of warp at Waypoint Alpha. He swallowed a lump and took a ragged breath. Six hundred AUs from the Verklus fleet's last reported position. Saffinger raised his brows and fished out some eye gunk with his ring finger. Very good, he muttered. Any hostiles on scan? No, sir, Ostandit replied, steadily regaining his pulse. Saffinger sat up and spun his legs off the bed. He slid his feet into a pair of slippers laid out perfectly beside the base of the bed. Any reports from our forward fleet? No contacts within range, sir. Griman Nebula still in range? It's shifting slightly, sir, but should still be within warp distance. All right, then. 
Proceed with fleet realignment and wait for my signal. Saffinger ran his fingers through his messy white hair, patting all the loose strands down and back. Sir, are you all right? A standard asked, still looking a bit frazzled. I buzzed at the door for a good minute. Yes, I'm fine, just tired. I didn't mean to barge in like that, but you did tell me to wake you when we arrived at the first waypoint. I said it's fine, Lieutenant. You don't have to explain yourself. Ostandit continued looking down at the captain stubbornly. He seemed to toy with his thoughts, somehow trying to find the right words to console Saffinger. I'm sorry about your wife, Ostandit said with a soft, almost apologetic tone. Saffinger just stared straight out into the back of the room, hands still brushing the back of his head. I was talking in my sleep, wasn't I? Ostandit nodded. I've been having these dreams more and more, Saffinger began, putting both arms now in his lap and leaning forward onto them, still staring out into the back wall. Ostandit saw the photograph on Saffinger's bedside table. Is that her? the lieutenant asked. Saffinger nodded. Yes, that's Samantha, he said, now too looking at the photo. You were probably just a kid when Tango hijacked that cruise liner. I was old enough to remember, sir. Saffinger picked up the framed photograph from off the table and looked deeply at his wife's smiling face. He studied every inch and every curve, trying desperately to forget she was ever gone. The Navy could have destroyed that fleet, Saffinger began. Sir, Ostandit interjected, I know where you're going with this, and you can't blame yourself. Saffinger looked back at the lieutenant, now out of the tops of his eyes. I wasn't about to, lieutenant. If I felt somehow responsible, if we had actually made a move, then I could blame myself. But no, we did nothing. We had a fleet aligned, and Admiral Gahn gave the order to stand down. I know, sir, I saw the news reports. A cruise liner, Ostandit. A goddamn cruise liner. Hundreds of thousands of civilians, and Gahn stands down. Saffinger shook his head and took a few deep breaths through his nose, now burning a hole through the back wall. Captain, Ostandit started, trying his best to sound reassuring, half of Tango's fleet was destroyed on the way back to Jaller's space. Not before he blew the crews to hell. Not before he killed my wife and everyone else on board. Sir, we're here now. This is our mission. We'll get that pirate. Saffinger jumped out of bed and brought his face to within inches of Ostandard's, as though he was ready to grab the lieutenant's hair again and stick the gun back into his chest. Don't you ever call that thing a pirate, you hear me? Ever! That dirty reptile got his ransom and still fired. That is no pirate, lieutenant. A pirate is a tradesman. He stays true to his word. He gains respect and honor by letting his victims live. That's how you get paid in this corrupt galaxy. Saffinger inched closer to the lieutenant. Tango is no pirate. He's a murderer. He does it for the sick pleasure of watching unarmed ships go up in flames and hearing thousands of silent screams burn up with them. That is a sociopath, Lieutenant. Sir, I didn't mean any disrespect. Saffinger stopped. He knew he had lost control. There was no reason to go off on the Lieutenant like he had. The man had done nothing wrong. Saffinger realized for the first time that the Jaller monster had finally gotten to him. Like the reptiles on Earth, Tango had slithered and hissed and injected a venom of fear inside generation upon generation. It was no longer a personal vendetta, but a hatred that seemed to stem from all irrational fears left in humanity. 
Historians had for ages tried to explain why humans struck first in the first Messier War, the technologically, intellectually, and culturally inferior civilization, but never seemed to look beyond the politics at the race's most base, instinctive response to the unknown. Somewhere, deep inside, Saffringer knew he couldn't help how he felt. There was a voice, a trigger. It was almost automatic. First hate, then blame. You're dismissed, Lieutenant, he managed to say, and looked out towards the door. A standard gave the captain the sympathetic salute and walked out of the room, letting the door slide shut behind him. Captain Saffinger stared at the tactical grid on the view screen. There was a mass of green dots in the center, blinking intermittently like the screen had been infested with a swarm of radioactive fireflies. Anything on long-range scanners, Ensign? Nothing, sir. Captain, a voice called from the back of the bridge. Incoming communications request from the Verklas flagship. Put it on screen, Saffinger commanded. The tactical grid faded out, and an image of a smug man with a well-trimmed red beard appeared in its place. The man grinned and put both hands on top of what looked like a Psy Ivory chair ornament. He wore a dark bomber jacket with a tuft of Zenarian fur lining the top of the jacket's collar. A row of tacky, glowing rings adorned his eyebrows and ears. Nice to have you with us, Captain Saffinger, the man announced as his face finished materializing on the screen. Saffinger just smiled back and released a quick laugh out of his nostrils. <laughs> Must be a small galaxy running into you like this, Hivsey. I actually expected to see you sooner, the man replied. Saffinger kept his jaded smile and leaned onto one arm of his command chair. I can't believe you're working for Verklus, Saffinger continued. It's not so bad, Hivsey replied. Couple of weeks escorting freighters, couple of weeks hunting. It's really not a bad life, Eli. I'm sure. Beats the bull we had to deal with in the Navy. Speak for yourself, Hivsey. I didn't choose this life, the man raised a brow. Come on, do you think I do this willingly, Hivsey pried. It's not like you were ever the poster boy for honor and duty when we were enlisted men, Saffinger noted. More so than you, it seems, Captain. Saffinger turned to his communications ensign with a frustrated swing of the head. Hey, 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 I get it, Hivsey interrupted, clearly not wanting to get dropped. I don't blame you for going off on Admiral Gunn like that eight years ago. I would have done the same. I highly doubt it, Saffinger replied coldly. You had no idea what I went through. Doesn't really matter to me. The whole flotilla knew you didn't exactly deserve that honorable discharge. Saffinger raised a brow and shifted his weight onto the other arm of the command chair. I didn't come here to have a pissing contest with you, Hivsey. Hivsey chuckled. You haven't changed a bit, have you, Eli? Still stubborn and thick as ever. Saffinger said nothing. Nice fleet you brought, by the way, Hivsey noted, snidely trying to change the subject. Saffinger wanted to close the channel out of sheer bitter frustration, but he knew he couldn't. He still had to go through the motions of establishing a chain of command. The whole process would have been much easier if Verklust had just told him who the commanding officer for their private little defense fleet was. All right, Hivsey, keep in mind we have a protocol here. As of right now, I am the commanding officer for both fleets. We act as one, your fleet and mine, under my orders. Don't worry, I read the briefing. You think it's something you can handle? Hivsey smiled and took a sip of a white steaming beverage beside him in the chair's cup holder. Aye, aye, Captain, he said, and gave Saffinger a wink. 
Saffinger shook his head and pushed a button atop his command chair armrest. The image of Captain Hivsey disappeared from the view screen, leaving only the darkness of the void outside. Saffinger sighed and surveyed the bridge. His crew worked diligently at their stations, mimicking what remedial lessons they had just learned at the Naval Academy or the Dara Training Corps. They were green, most of them fresh out of training, not exactly what Saffinger had hoped for. But the pool of combat-ready officers was already stretched as thin as could be. Two capital ships in fleet had rookie lieutenants at the helm. It was a mess of a command chain. Saffinger knew nothing could be done, though. He needed the firepower, and he was willing to give up the experience for numbers. A shout came from the left side of the bridge. Sir, unknown vessels coming out of warp, 400 clicks off our starboard side. Ship types, replied Saffinger. Three Tiger-class vessels, Joller scouts. Ensign Kwan, open comms with fleet. Communication channels open, sir. Get me a ping report, Ensign. I want to make sure every commander can hear me. Saffinger watched the view screen patiently. Not long after, a voice called out again from the back of the room. Secure frequencies open. All squadrons accounted for. Saffinger held down a button on his command chair. All vessels, this is Captain Saffinger of the Dara flagship. We have confirmed enemy contact. Stand by for engagement. A voice came from the left side of the bridge again. Sir, enemy tigers have activated battle scanners less than five minutes before they get a reading on our fleet's weaponry. Tactical up, commanded Saffinger. The tactical grid reappeared on the view screen, and three small dots started blinking slowly in the top left corner. Saffinger held the communications button down again. Captain Mitrius, can you hear me? A crackle of a voice came from the speakers above the command chair. Roger. Gamma squadron copy, sir. How long until you can get your fighters on those scouts? Four minutes tops. Shall we engage? Roger. Take them out fast. Several formations of tiny green dots appeared on the tactical grid and approached the flashing enemy coordinates. Gamma squadron moved quickly, gaining faster than Savinger had expected. Sir, tigers are realigning, came Captain Mitrius's eager voice over the speakers. Enemy vessels now headed 250 over 34 degrees. Thrusters fully active. They're running, sir. What's your range to target? 25 kilometers. Don't worry, sir. We still got them. Saffinger watched the screen intently as Gamma Squadron closed in. Within moments, they were right on top of the enemy. Saffinger waited, but nothing happened. His brows scrunched. He wondered why the little yellow circles of combat activity hadn't started flashing on the tactical grid. Mitrius, what are you doing? You're in range! Fire! Sir, we can't! Our tracking systems are malfunctioning! Saffinger went silent for a moment, and his eyes suddenly lit up as he looked closer at the screen. Get out of there, Mitrius! A mass of red dots appeared on the tactical grid outside the bounds of the battlescape, with a frenzied voice calling out from the left side of the bridge. New contacts! Bearing 245 over 34 degrees! Long-range scanners confirm enemy fleet inbound! In-warp 250 AUs! And closing fast! Mitrius, get out of there! Hyper-inject back to fleet! Sir, the Tigers have deployed a stasis field on us! We can barely move! Enemy fleet now 40 AUs out, Captain! Captain Hivsey's piercing voice suddenly called out from the speakers. Reptiles incoming, Eli. What are we doing just sitting here? Saffinger pushed the universal frequency button on his communication console. Hipsy, shut up! All vessels hold! Gamma Squadron, begin evasive maneuvers! The left side of the bridge erupted again. Captain, enemy fleet now 10 AUs out! Give me their composition. Five heavy cruisers, twelve assault cruisers, a drone corvette, three heavy electronics boats, two squadrons of light destroyers, and four squadrons of heavy frigates. The red dots teetered on the outskirts of the grid, then suddenly appeared inside the bounds of the battlescape. An ensign called out from the front of the bridge. Captain, enemy fleet on grid! Dual view on screen now, called out Saffinger. 
The tactical grid split, and one half of the viewscreen showed Tango's fleet neatly positioned in an offensive claw formation, aligned right towards the Verklust freighter. Each ship had its own unique shape and design, with a patented white-on-black privateer color scheme. Sir, enemy destroyers breaking from main pocket. They're engaging Gamma Squadron. Captain Mitrius, how long until you're out of the stasis field? I don't know, but we're already taking heavy fire. Saffinger sneered and pushed a button on his communications console. Commander Nast, long-range sniper wing, can you hear me? Reporting, sir. Get a lock on those destroyers now. Roger, Captain. Moving into range and acquiring targets. The tiny explosions of Gamma Fighter Squadron appeared on the screen as they slowly maneuvered back towards fleet, their numbers dwindling with each passing moment. Break, sniper wing. Go, break. Sir, enemy destroyers are too small and quick. We can't get a lock on them. Keep at it, Commander. Switch to manual tracking if you have to. Saffringer watched the view screen with a tightening grip on his command chair arm. The series of small explosions intensified, and he slammed down on the console button. Captain Mitrius, report! There was no response. Gamma Squadron, I need a status report! He waited, but still no reply. A bit of static came from the overheads, but no voices. Damn it, who is in command over there? The radio gargled and spit out a few hums and echoes but still nothing could be heard from the squadron. For God's sake, someone in Gamma Squadron, speak up! After another brief silence, the radio clicked on and a frantic voice came over the speakers. This is Lieutenant Commander Dex reporting. Gamma Squadron is taking heavy fire. We've lost Captain Metrius and almost half of our squad. Captain, break sniper wing. Two enemy targets locked and in range. Saffinger almost leapt onto his console button and gave the order to fire. A stream of brilliant red beams raced across the viewscreen and tore through two enemy ships hounding the Dara fighters, destroying them on impact. Captain, this is Gamma Squadron. We're down to only two formations. We can't hold this assault much longer. Wait, hold that. Main thrusters reactivating. Sir, we're coming out of the stasis field. Roger, Gamma Squadron. Keep burning towards fleet. The enemy destroyers continued to tail Gamma Squadron, now steadily losing ground on the more agile, lighter fighters. Commander Nast, I need your tracking report now. Still acquiring, sir. Like I said, our computers aren't designed to target these kinds of vessels. Suddenly, the Joller destroyers made a sharp, unexpected 180-degree turn to realign back to their own fleet. Break, sniper wing. They've given up transversal velocity. We've acquired lock on all remaining targets and are in range. Permission to fire. Granted, Commander. Fire. Another row of beams pierced through space towards the enemy destroyers. This time, there was a series of massive explosions. The view screen lit up as though someone had just flicked on a nuclear light switch and gave vibrant, booming color to the void outside. Saffinger shut his eyes for a moment and finally relaxed his grip on the command chair arm. Good job, Sniper Wing. Return to passive formation. Repair corvettes. Prepare to open engineering bay. Gamma Squadron will be docking in five. Saffinger exhaled and leaned back into his chair. He watched the view screen as the remainder of Tango's fleet sat in formation, 400 clicks out, motionless but still aligned towards the freighter. Saffinger wondered whether now would have been the perfect time to strike, their fleet outnumbered and fully exposed. But he waited. He wasn't about to rush in. He began going through his backlog of tactics and fleet maneuvers. He pitted the enemy fleet against his own and calculated the odds of victory. Despite the firepower he had brought to the battle, Saffinger decided it still wasn't enough. Tango was too good, too smart. The lizard would have run if he didn't think he had the advantage. There were too many unknowns for Saffinger to attack, too many questions. He leaned back further in his chair and waited for his adversary to make the first move. 
Ivsi suddenly came on the overheads. Well, that was a nice pawn exchange, Eli. What say we end this Mexican standoff and take them out? Sun Tzu's art of war, Hivsi. Ancient text, but still relevant today. We have the tactical advantage. Let them come to us. Are you looking at the same fleet as I am? We can annihilate these reptiles. What's the big rush? Savinger suddenly heard a voice shout out from somewhere on Hivsi's bridge. He couldn't quite make out what the ensign was saying, but it sounded urgent. Hivsi's face immediately turned grim. They're targeting our freighter, he called out. Saffinger paused for a moment and looked out at the Jowler fleet with skepticism and suspicion. No, ignore it. They won't fire. The goods inside the cargo bay are too valuable. They're just trying to bait us. Another urgent cry called out from Hivsi's bridge. This time Saffinger could hear it loud and clear. He looked up at his own tactical grid. A blip of orange dots appeared and began rapidly approaching the fleet in the center of the screen. Captain, heavy torpedo volley incoming. All hostile warheads targeting the freight ship. Hivsi said nothing. He gave Saffinger a threatening glare and instantly closed visual communications. Saffinger sat up and pushed a button on his command chair. All right, all ships in fleet, hold and load countermeasures. Saffinger stared out at the Jowler fleet again, now biting the inside of his lip. The only sounds on the bridge were the staccato bleeps of the incoming torpedoes, inching closer, dialing in on the vulnerable Verklus freighter. Sir, countermeasures armed and ready. Saffinger chewed harder on the inside of his lip. All ships in fleet launch ECMs. A screen of smoke clouded the view screen, and a set of blue dots raced toward the enemy torpedoes. Sir, countermeasures ineffective. Seventeen torpedoes still on grid and reacquiring lock. Hivsi boomed over the speakers. Damn it, Eli. What the hell are we doing? We gotta get to their torpedo boats before they get off another volley. I don't like it, Hivsi. Stand down. No, screw you. I'll take this fleet myself if I have to. I said stand down, Hivsi. We're not splitting our forces. The overheads turned still. There was no more static. No more echoes. Even the little light on the command console now radiated a blood-red hue. The bulk of the Verklus fleet suddenly appeared off the starboard side with Captain Hivsi's flagship leading the charge. They raced towards the Jowler fleet, heavy cruisers and battleships giving an extra push to keep up with the hyper-injected advance. Once in range, they began to fire, sending volley after volley of weak, long-range energy pulses at the enemy torpedo boats, hoping to maybe cripple their launch tubes or loading bays. Saffinger couldn't see much, but he knew the shots were ineffective. The explosions were small and had a pitiful, dull yellow tint to them. No thermal spikes, no sign of structural damage. It barely looked like Hivsi was even penetrating their shields. Sir, torpedoes 30 kilometers from impact. Verklaus freighter has redirected all power to defensive systems. Hivsi's advance continued. The Verklaus fleet bore down on the Jollers like a giant swarm of locusts infesting a tiny cornfield. They kept firing without any aggression in return. The Jowler fleet held its claw formation, steady and unwavering, facing a barrage of fire, but taking only minimal damage. Sir, torpedo impact imminent! Saffinger shut his eyes. He had been given a simple assignment. It was as black and white as a Zenarian herd on the plains of Hydra Three. He had done it hundreds of times before. Protect the target at all costs. He swore his life to defending the lives of the innocent, but had succumbed to his caution. He couldn't believe what a coward he had become, a second-guessing soft coward. He already knew how it would end. The first torpedo volley would incinerate the shields, and the second would wipe out the armor. After that, it was only a matter of time before the freight ship could no longer sustain its own structural damage and pressure leaks. 
Tango wasn't out there to capture cargo. He was on a political mission. He knew how important the shipment was to trade relations between the humans and Dubdonians. Hit and run and gone. No need for an unnecessary bloody battle. Just a few casualties and billions of Aster's worth of mining equipment blown into the great vacuum. Sir, enemy torpedoes failed to detonate. What? None of them? Confirm, sir. No damage sustained by the freighter. Just as Saffinger was ready to hit the comms button to give Hivsey the good news, a mirage-like wave appeared on the viewscreen just beyond the Verklus fleet's position. The wave warped and skewed the stars beyond, and a row of figures, certainly man-made, slowly began to take form in the wake of the visage. Captain, unknown ships decloaking at the forward position. What do you mean, unknown ships? Sir, computers aren't picking up their class signature. We've never seen this design. Any guesses? The ensign put a single headphone to his ear and punched a few codes into the computer terminal. Sir, unknown ships have deployed proximity mines and are reactivating cloak. Saffinger slammed on the comms button. Hivsey, get your plasma shields up! You're drifting right into a minefield! Captain Hivsey only muttered a quiet, I'm sorry, over the speakers. They both knew it was too late. The inertia of Hivsey's entire fleet couldn't stop them from flying straight into the minefield. There was one explosion, then another. Then a brilliant white eruption flooded the entire view screen. After a moment, the white light subsided, and a thermal plasma band began expanding towards both Saffinger's and Tango's fleet. I've seen enough, Ensign. View screen off. Plasma shield up. Prepared for secondary kinetic impact. Aye, sir. Hivsey's fleet was gone. Incinerated. Not a single friendly signature remained. Thirty-two ships, close to a thousand pilots and crew, dead. Saffinger's instincts were right. The enemy was fully prepared to be outnumbered. They feigned weakness, and it played right into Hivsey's arrogant impulses. Saffinger wished he had been on the bridge with Hivsey, seen his angry, fiery attitude turn defeatist and fear-stricken in a matter of seconds. He didn't feel for Hivsey. He felt for the crew, for the medics and engineers, the scanner operators and weapons officers, not the overconfident captain. Derefleet status, Ensign. Saffinger whispered toward the front of the bridge. Minor shield damage sustained, no penetration into structure. And the freighter? Maintaining 78% shield volume, all crew accounted for. Unbelievable, Saffinger muttered under his breath. There was a new trick every time. The deception came in so many shapes and forms it became literally impossible for any intelligence agency to keep up. Most humans described the Jollers as lizards or snakes, some said they looked like iguanas, but in combat they were definitely chameleons, masking their intentions and blending in with the environment so skillfully it was a miracle if any survivors lived to tell of each new tactic. Saffinger knew what had to be done, but couldn't quite bring himself to admit it. Self-doubt had nearly cost him the mission once. He wasn't ready to let it overcome his instincts again. He pressed and held the comms button down with a confident force, all ships and fleet aligned towards Waypoint Delta. We're warping out. Sir? came a stunned voice from the overheads. What about our primary objective? Killing Tango has been downgraded to secondary objective, Lieutenant. We don't stand a chance against him. Our primary is now saving ourselves and that freighter. Sir, he'll follow us. We can't run and hide. I'm willing to take that risk, Lieutenant. Now I repeat... All ships in fleet activate inertial nullifiers and begin alignment towards Waypoint Delta.
Saffinger watched the tactical grid as if it held all the secrets of the strange galaxy they inhabited, patiently waiting for the enemy to react to their aspect change. The Verklus freighter fired a port attitude thruster, and the Jaller fleet immediately began its advance. How long until the fleet is ready for warp, Ensign? Six minutes, sir. That freighter is a nightmare to spin around. Engineering, give me fleet drive status. All ships' subatomic combustion chambers fully functional. Just waiting for orders, Captain. Saffinger took a deep breath in. He watched the Jaller fleet close in on their position, heavy electronics vessels inching closer to disruption range. Three minutes till full alignment, sir. All subcapital vessels initiate warp sequence and engage drives. A handful of friendly destroyer squadrons and fighters immediately disappeared from grid, their warp bands leaving a bright silver streak outside the view screen. A pair of frigates soon followed them into warp. One by one, the light craft began disappearing from the battlescape. Suddenly, the bridge began to shake violently. The lights dimmed and flashed, and a buzz of static came over the speakers. Sir, enemy fire! They're targeting our cruisers! Don't worry, Ensign. We'll get out. The bridge shook again. This time a red explosion flashed across the view screen. Captain, we've lost Epsilon Squadron! How long until fleet alignment, Ensign? Saffinger called out, showing not even a hint of panic. Under a minute, Captain. I don't know how many ships will make it out alive. Saffinger held down the comms button again. All ships in fleet, warp when ready. Don't wait for orders, just go. Several more ships disappeared from the tactical grid, some warping out and some disintegrating into the void, finished off by the unyielding enemy fire. Break, Captain Saffinger. This is Captain Sala of the Verklas Freighter. Our drives are incapacitated. We can't warp out. A blinding red light flashed from the far back of Saffinger's bridge. Ours too, Captain. We can't initiate warp. More and more Dera Coalition ships disappeared from the battlescape, until only Saffinger's flagship and the Verklust freighter remained on grid. The enemy fire suddenly ceased. An eerie calm filled the bridge, with only the warp malfunction alarm echoing faintly from the depths of Engineering Bay. Saffinger looked around the bridge. All eyes were suddenly on him, half accusingly, half expectantly. He couldn't think of anything to say to reassure the crew. What were the options, anyway? Suddenly, the short-range communications ensign at the far left of the bridge turned to his station and fiddled with the controls. Sir, incoming communications request. Joller frequency. Saffinger sat up. He was so used to automatically saying on screen, but didn't this time. He waited. For what, he didn't know. He wasn't nervous. He knew exactly what he wanted to say, but he still waited, wondering whether it was really inevitable, his confrontation with the twisted reptile. Very well, Ensign. On screen, he finally managed to command. Tango's rough, scaly face materialized under the Dara logo lining the top of the bridge. He raised both claws up in the traditional Jaller greeting, clenching them together to make a fist, then immediately opening them to display his palms. Good day, Captain, he said in Dubdonian, the galactic standard for the region. Saffinger stared right into his pale green eyes without a blink or a twitch. I am quite impressed with your performance, began Tango. Saffinger said nothing in return. Captain, you shun a sincere compliment. You set your torpedoes to duds, didn't you? Saffinger replied with a cold, spiteful whisper. Ha <laughs> the man speaks how delightful. Yes, in fact I did, and I must apologize for the loss of your friends. It was unfortunate that they had to be the test subjects for my new stealth mine layers. Again, Saffinger said nothing. 
Captain, this is quite frustrating. I find it rather hard to negotiate with my victim when he is reluctant to say more than a few words. Saffinger shifted in his seat. I didn't realize this was a negotiation. Tango laughed in that gargle of noise the jollers considered a display of amusement. <laughs> you must agree that you are in a very precarious situation. How so? Tango laughed again. <laughs> How so? What comedy, Captain? Strange, I don't find this humorous at all. Tango's scales flared outward to absorb some oxygen and moisture in his control room. He looked like an overgrown Komodo dragon with those keen eyes and earthy green-brown scales. On his torso, he wore an elaborately detailed burgundy officer's uniform with a neatly buttoned collar covering the entirety of his neck. The tribal markings above his brow signified royalty. Nephew of a jolly duke, he held his head up with an air of confidence only seen in the circles of nobility. I can understand the position you're in, Captain. The stress, the doubt... If it's any consolation to you, your lives are worth more than I had first imagined. According to who? My officer had your organizations on long-range communication frequencies just moments ago. Both prepared to pay a hefty ransom for the safe release of your vessels. I have them on comms as well, Saffinger bluffed. I see. And how is that relevant? I told them not to pay. Tango's forked tongue appeared from inside his mouth and quickly slid back in. He motioned for his lieutenant commander to lean in. The other jaller whispered a few words into his ear and returned to his position outside from view. You're lying, Captain, Tango said. It's not becoming of you. Am I? I have been informed that no such agreement has been made. Check your frequencies, jaller. Neither Verklus nor Dara are paying. Captain, I find your lack of respect rather disappointing. I actually find it rather appropriate considering you plan to kill me anyway. Nonsense. Once the fun transfer is complete, we will re-enable your warp drives and send you on your way home. Is that right? You have my word. Your word means nothing to me, Tango. Tangle's tongue forked out again and rattled a bit outside his mouth. Do I know you, Captain? Tango asked, looking curiously at his adversary. I just cannot image what I have done to make you so put off. It's merely the nature of war. Us firing upon you, you firing upon us. Fortune simply favored our side on this day. Surely you cannot deny it was a fair, honorable battle. There is more to this galaxy than fairness and honor. In our positions, Captain, I see nothing more gratifying in victory than the defeat of a righteous opponent. Righteous? How can you know what that is? I've seen the atrocities you've committed against our people. Once again, Captain, it is simply the nature of war. Our ancestors were willing to coexist peacefully. It's a shame Yoris had to be the pugnacious instigator. Tango tapped on his command chair with a claw of his middle finger. He was getting impatient, and Saffinger knew it. The time for idle chit-chat was quickly fading, leaving only a growing, festering hatred in the wake. Tango's lieutenant commander leaned in again from the right side of the screen. The bluish reptile whispered something in his captain's ear, and the beast suddenly no longer looked as pleased with himself. Captain, I see that you are, in fact, a man of your word, and of equally poor judgment. 
It appears your coalition is now indeed refusing to pay my ransom. You leave me with little choice. Saffinger smiled and turned to his long-range communications ensign. He nodded once and returned his gaze back to the view screen. Chashi ins atataska, Saffinger said with a ruthless tone, addressing the jawler in his native tongue. Stasansada in Isis Christasasin. Tango's eyes lit up. He whipped around to the left side of the bridge and barked a medley of commands at his officers. A dim red light flooded his bridge, and he gave Saffinger a sneering, callous look before closing the communication channel. The view screen went blank for a moment and almost instantly changed into an image of the Jaller fleet only a few clicks off the bow. The entire enemy fleet began to turn, exposing the broadside of each ship one by one, each showing its ornate spikes and claws jutting from the wings. Disruption field up, Ensign Zydist, Saffinger commanded. Roger, Captain. Field deployed and charging. Focus ionization on their flagship. Aye, sir. Saffinger smiled again. His plan unfolded as perfectly as he could have hoped. A few too many casualties for his liking, but nonetheless a victory. He got what he wanted from Tango. An image. A face-to-face, man-to-man confrontation. The reptile was no longer a myth no longer hidden by a shroud of mystery like some spook or demon. He had become a real, breathing being. It made it that much harder to kill him, but at the same time that much more gratifying. The lizard was no longer a shadow. He was blood and scales, intelligence and heart, a hero among the Jollers, much like the French privateers of the 17th century, hated by the Spanish, revered by their own countrymen. The man was nearly a god, Forty-seven victories, eighteen trillion asters worth of seized goods and ransom, and a reputation that nearly eclipsed the legendary folk hero, Statla. Disruption field at full capacity, sir. Enemy's flagship warp drives disabled. The bridge shook once again, this time frying some of the circuitry at the science station, sending a burst of sparks like fireworks fluttering through the bridge. The nearby ensign screamed and fell over, grasping at the left side of his body and writhing when he hit the floor. A medical bot immediately appeared from a wall cabinet and rushed over to the fallen ensign. The bot injected a painkiller and quickly bandaged the burn area. Sir, concentrated enemy fire. Shall we divert power to defensive systems? No, ensign. Keep that disruption field up. Saffinger whipped his head toward the fallen ensign. Islington, how are you holding out over there? The man groaned but managed a spirited, I'm fine, back to his captain. The medical bot picked him up and half-tracked his singed body to the wall cabinet. A table glided out from beyond the dark chamber and unfolded beside the robot. The bot lifted and placed the ensign on the table and quickly wheeled him off the bridge to sickbay. Disruption field status, ensign? Holding, sir. All right, dual screen up. The view screen split and tactical immediately reappeared on the right side of it. A swarm of green dots blinked outside the bounds of the battlescape, steadily bearing down on the center of the grid. Saffinger grinned. The void outside instantly lit up with ion blasts and explosions. The Jaller fleet continued their cowardly realignment home, with the newly arriving Dara ships immediately beginning a devastating onslaught. A crackle came on the overheads. Captain Saffinger, looks like we're just in time. Saffinger glowed. Good job staying within the nebula, Lieutenant Commander. They had no idea you were coming. Well, we could barely pick up anything on our own scanners. Just glad we can make it back before you got blown to hell. Good job, Calico. Never doubted you for a minute. Thank you, Captain. Permission to break and engage? Roger. Just leave Tango to me, Commander. Aye, sir. 
Saffinger released his finger from the comms button. He fiddled with the front of the armchair while he eyed the Joller flagship on screen, its rear thrusters coming into view no more than ten clicks away, firing a magnificent blue flame as it rotated ever so slowly away. Give me a routine locking procedure on primary target, Ensign. A large white targeting reticule appeared on screen, with the flagship a mere speck inside it. Within seconds, the square had shrunk to perfectly frame Tango's massive cruiser. Target lock, sir. Short range zero zeros loaded in missile bay, ready to fire. It was the moment Saffinger had dreamed of for years. He went through the final sequence in his mind what must have been hundreds of times. Tango's ship warp disrupted, locked, and his support fleet on the verge of destruction. In his visions, it was easy to give the order to fire. All he had to do was say it. He had said it hundreds of times. Just do it, Saffinger, he told himself. Say it. Give the damn order. Sir, they're restabilizing warp drives. Saffinger's breath suddenly quickened. He lowered his eyes and swallowed what sounded like a lump the size of a softball. What the hell's the matter with you, Saffinger? He scolded himself. You show no mercy. Not now. Not after what he's done. Sir, target's warp drive will be operational in under a minute. Saffinger continued to struggle with his racing thoughts and said nothing. He couldn't believe it. He tried to rationalize what was going through his head. It was so easy, just one word he had to spit out, just one two-syllable word, and the suffering would end. The years of tragedy avenged, the fear and hate finally forgotten. He held the power to change the world in a bubble just beyond the reaches of his vocal cords. It grew, torturing him more and more the longer it stayed inside. Captain! He closed his eyes and held them tightly shut. A tear trickled down from inside of his right eye, running down the length of his face and dripping onto his uniform. He couldn't tell if it was one of sadness or joy. He just let his mind go blank and shut his eyes even more, hoping the ship would disappear when they reopened, hoping his bridge and crew would disappear along with it. But everything was still there. Nothing had changed. The void. The vessels. The innocent and the depraved. It will never end, he muttered, and gave the final command. <laughs>